Welcome to the West Point Church Podcast. Here you can find past and future messages. Be sure to subscribe so you get updates as soon as those sermons are posted. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a good week. Uh, how many in here love to do laundry? I, so, I am so proud of you guys. Okay, listen, I'll tell you something right now. I do not do laundry ever. <laughs> like Laura does all the laundry at our house. We kind of have an agreement. Like I'll do the yard work. You do the laundry. I got the better end of that deal. I know. I know, okay? I hate doing laundry. Um, You know, and almost as much as I hate doing laundry, I hate the effect of laundry on my clothes. If, If I was a billionaire, I would wear a brand new pair of socks. In fact, I would probably wear a different pair of clothes every single day. But I would wear brand new socks every single day. Because once a pair of socks have been washed one time, they are forever ruined. How many know what I'm talking about right now? There is nothing better than opening up that package and putting on those socks for the very first time. It's glorious, right? And when they get washed and recycled in that way, they lose that softness they lose like the, the amazing feeling that they have the first time that you wear them. Well, the reality of, of church throughout the course of church history is that a lot of times the same issues come up over and over and over again and, and we get attached to certain things that we think are important. And so... In the future, we try to recycle old ideas, and the second time around, it loses what it maybe was initially intended to be, and it gets twisted and warped a little bit. And so today, I'm going to give you a little bit of a church history lesson. How many are excited about that this morning? All right, two of you. Yes. Okay, the rest of you, I'm going to try to keep this fun and entertaining, and I want you, I want you to be engaged because... I, I really believe that it is so important for us, if we're going to understand where we're going as a church, we need to understand a little bit about where we came from as well, and how the past has affected how we do church today. Sometimes we get obsessed with our methods, right, with how many people should attend the Sunday morning service? What kind of music should we do? Like, should Chris Tomlin be banned from, from worship music? You know, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Settle down. Like, I, that was for the worship team. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, no, the, I mean, the idea is like, we get obsessed about some of the details when in reality, there's a bigger picture. And what I want us to do is, is kind of take a flyover of where we've come from as a church in the next 20 minutes. This is going to be a real brief history lesson, okay? We're going to to cruise through some of these, these big events, and we're going to see how it's impacted us today. Now, this series that we've been doing is called Brand New, and uh, I'm going to just quickly recap because it's been last week we had the, the business meeting and the celebration service. So it's been a couple weeks since we've been in it. And um, one of the things that we talked about is that religion is a very powerful thing, right? And frankly, it's, it can be dangerous. It can be very dangerous in the way that it's used. Uh, it's dangerous because um, what happens is leaders tend to use it to manipulate other people. 
And, and what we end up with is, is something that was far different than Jesus ever intended it to be. Um, there, there can be um, misinformation. There can be things that are confusing. And one of the things that I want to talk about today is how our conscience can be manipulated and how it can be twisted. Um, let me give you an example. In the 40s and 50s, there were business owners that would never dream of opening their business on a Sunday. That would just be absurd to do that. Now today, if a business doesn't open on Sunday, we're like, what is wrong with this company? In fact, the church that I used to be at, we were, uh, we were about two minutes from Chick-fil-A. And there is, you know, Sunday service would finish right around 12.30, and we'd get done, and uh, we'd be like, you know what? All I want right now is some Christian chicken, okay? Some anointed, spirit-filled chicken, and it's Sunday. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I was genuinely upset that Chick-fil-A was closed on Sunday. Now, that decision was made out of a, like a way to honor the Sabbath, to give their employees the opportunity to go to church. It's wonderful motivation. It's a great thing. It's, it's awesome. But at the same time, man, all I wanted was some Chick-fil-A after church on Sunday, right? So you see how things have kind of shifted in our culture, how, how things have changed, and how our conscience can be manipulated and, and, and maneuvered over time, right? Like 70 years ago, that would have been absurd to have all of these businesses open on a Sunday, but today, that, that isn't even a concern anymore. Now, truth hasn't changed, and God hasn't changed, but our conscience has changed on those issues, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. Frankly, um, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, slavery was still viewed as a favorable thing by a lot of church attenders. I'm thankful today that that's changed in the church, that, that we've we moved from that. So there are healthy things and there are negative things, but but that shifts over time and our opinions change over time, but God's truth and his word do not change. So we need to be able to separate our feelings and our opinions from what God's word actually says. And that's where I want to approach this from. And I'm sitting down today because, because I'm going to step on some toes and I might as well do it, you know, in a gentle way. If I'm sitting down, I don't have to put my full weight on it. Okay. Um, I want you to understand something as, as we talk about these things. Some of what I'm going to share today um, is not like this is scriptural fact. This is, this is Paul's opinion, okay? And, and I want you to hear that from the beginning because you may disagree with me and that's okay, all right? But I, I do feel like it's important for me to share my heart on this too because as a pastor, I have my own conscience and my own values and, and things that, that really matter to me and I want you to hear my heart on some of these things. And then um, we're going to take that, we're going to separate it and say, okay, but here's what God's word actually says too. And then you can decide how you want to align yourself going forward as, as we tackle some of these, these tough issues, okay? Can we do that this morning? Can we be in agreement that we're not going to get angry or upset and you're not going to yell or throw things at me? I'd appreciate that. Now, we talked about uh, the church in the past and, and how um, Jesus came and started something brand new, right? 
new covenant, new relationship, eliminated the barrier between God and us so that we could have relationship with him. But over time, over time, we, we've kind of as a church tried to incorporate some of the old things, and, and we've referred to that the last couple of weeks as the temple model, right? The, the old way of doing things, incorporating that in with the new way and kind of combining the two, and, and that's not what Jesus intended. He started something brand new. The old had passed away, and the new had come, and so we had a new commandment. Um, we had a new covenant. We had a new ethic. We had a new movement. We talked about all of those things. And we talked about how in Galatians, Paul was addressing what happens when you try to blend the old with the new. We use the example of circumcision, right? And how in the early church, that was something that, that the um, Judaizers were trying to blend back into Christianity. And Paul said, no, this is something new. This is separate from that. You don't have to add anything to what Jesus has done. We're saved by his grace and we're saved by his work on the cross, and we don't need to add anything to that. Um, so we talked about the fact that we moved from this temple model where we went to the sacred place and sacred leaders read from sacred texts and, um, and they were in control to now we have direct access to the Father and the temple is our body. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that God actually comes and dwells inside of us and lives inside of us. So we're, we're not in that temple mode anymore. But throughout the course of history, as I stated, we've tried to blend some of the old with the new as well. So everything got off to a good start after, after Jesus um, ascended into heaven. First century cr Christians, they loved one another. Right? They really took care of each other. They were, they were building the church. They were growing. They were multiplying on a daily basis. Um, there, there was no New Testament yet, right? They didn't have these letters assembled yet. They just had each other and each other's stories. That's why part of it, is, with your story is so important. Your story has value. That's why we're doing what we're doing tonight because the, there's power in that. Right? And they began the church with just each other's experiences and the love that they had for each other and, and the Old Testament. And so they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't fear death. And when you don't fear death, you don't fear much. Right? There's not much that can scare you at that point. When you don't have fear, you're free to give with abandon. And they gave of their time and they gave of their lives and they gave of their finances and they, they built, began to build this church, and it was growing rapidly, and it was making a difference, and they were gaining traction because they loved each other. Then something happened um, from which the church never fully recovered. And, and you're going to hear this story, and you're going to think, well, that sounds kind of like a good thing. But on October 28th, in the year 312, the Roman Emperor Constantine, on his way to do battle with another emperor, saw a vision, or some say they, he heard an audible voice, but um, he saw the sign of a cross. And inspired by this symbol, he had all of the uh, Roman arm, army paint a cross on their shield, and they went into battle and defeated Maxentius. And so... Because of this sign, the world changed. Now, the Holy Roman 
empire was born. And the emperor was a Christian. And Christianity became not only um, a faith movement, but a political movement as well. So uh, Constantine banned crucifixion as a punishment, and we'd say that's probably a good thing, right? And he started a church-building campaign. And Christianity went from being a persecuted minority to now where the power resided in the Roman Empire. And what they did is they kind of reverted back, just like doing laundry, they reverted back to what they knew about church and religion, and they started back into the temple mode again. And instead of meeting where they had space, as the early church was doing, frankly, uh, like we, we sometimes refer to the, the early church and like, well, they met in a lot of houses and stuff like that. Maybe that's what we should do right now. Well, the reality of the situation is they couldn't own a building because they, they would be arrested, right? So they met in houses out of necessity because they didn't have any money to buy anything. And even if they did, they couldn't publicly have a, a meeting space because they would all be arrested. They were being persecuted. So it wasn't that they met in houses because that's that was the ideal place and the ideal space to do church. It was because that's the only place they had, right? So like we can still be grateful and thankful for the space that we had, but um, you know, when when religion gets brought back into it, we think of these grand meeting spaces. In fact, the temple that Solomon built in the Old Testament was one of the most beautiful buildings that was ever constructed. Right. So this is like part of our Christian history as well. And so they did what they knew how to do. Now that they had money and they had power and and, and they had that on their side, they started building churches and building these beautiful cathedrals. And, and if you've been to Europe, you can see all of these churches, these gorgeous, beautiful churches that were built. Even in our city here today, there are some incredible church buildings, right? But the church was never about a building, right? It's about a movement of the Holy Spirit. And so all, along um, this, this, in this church building campaign, they built new cathedrals or, or temples. They established a new class of sacred men. They created a hierarchy. They created a political structure. Um, they combined the two as, as one. And, and basically, in that period of time, the church governed the world. Um, and then um, they used and abused the texts that they had available to them. The people didn't have access to the word of God. And so the only people that, that could read the word of God were people that, that spoke Latin or that could read Latin. And so they used that to manipulate people and control people. Um, and then something called the Arian controversy happened um, over a word, uh, the word begotten. Uh, and um, it, it really had to do with, with who God was and how he came about. And um, as a result of that controversy, um, the con Emperor Constantine made this decree. He said, and hereby I make a public order that if someone should be discovered having hidden a writing composed by Arius, right, this guy that, that came up with this idea, and having not immediately brought it forward, destroyed it by fire, his penalty shall be death. Okay. <laughs> 
So now heresy isn't just something that's, you know, not healthy and not good for the church, but it's a crime. And you see how something with maybe a good intention turned into something very dangerous as well. And, and as, as a um, pushback against these heresies, um, the church created these creeds, and, and the creeds are wonderful things, right? They're, they're a statement of belief that, that says who God is and what we believe about him, and they were very well-intentioned, but just like so many other things in our church, they turned into a weapon, right? And we focused on everybody needs to adhere to these creeds or you're going to be punished, rather than letting the Holy Spirit do his work and letting him convict people. And so it's not that we were wrong to, to write these creeds and to use them as statements of belief, but to use them as a weapon to punish people who, who strayed from that belief. That's where it became a dangerous thing. Heresy began to, became a punishable crime. Belief trumped behavior, and Christianity became creedal in a sense. You know, one of the things about the Apostles' Creed is that it, it doesn't mention maybe the most significant aspect of who God is. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. And if you don't have that as the foundation, then anything else that you believe about God is worthless. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us plainly, without love, it's just noise. Without love, sound doctrine is just a club to beat people with. But with love, it can be a beautiful thing. And so as these things are recycled, they, they were never, um, you know, maybe used as they were originally intended, and they became worse over time. The problem with, with us focusing on on getting it right is that uh, you're, you're taking out the love part of the equation entirely. And you can treat each other, you can treat your neighbor, you can treat somebody who doesn't even know the love of Christ yet like garbage. Because you're right. And there's something to be said about being right for the wrong reasons. Right? So, with enough money, um, you can get in. You can be part of the power structure, and this is kind of the way that it worked. And uh, if you could buy the indulgences, and if you could do the right thing, then, then, then you could control and manipulate people, too. Um, and, uh, in fact, that this led this idea of, like, the cross being a symbol of victory in battle kind of led to one of our darkest moments in our Christian church history. We know them as the Crusades. And what happened um, in the Crusades and how so many people were murdered and treated poorly as a result of uh, really a struggle for power, but under the banner of the name of Christ. You know, I, I can't help but wonder today, and I don't know the answer to this, but what would our relationship with the Muslim world look like today if it weren't for our history?
and obviously it upsets us very greatly with you know some of the acts of terrorism that have happened over the past few years and the animosity and the hatred that is going back and forth and i certainly wouldn't justify any of that it's evil and it's wrong and it's corrupt but at the same time if we don't look in the mirror and say you know our history has created some of this animosity then I think we're kidding ourselves. And so our only response, the only right thing that we can do is to respond with the way that we should have in the first place, with the foundation of love and building those relationships again and, and showing them the love of Christ because there's a world out there and, and whether we like them or not, is that's not really our option, right? The Bible says to pray for our enemies, right? Pray for those who persecute you. So we need to respond with love to a world that is broken and hurting, even if they're not responding that way to us. And, and I genuinely wonder how it could have been different if we would have done better in the past. And so now we, we obviously can't live those days over again, but we have to choose to respond in love right now. And we need to show the world that love. So this went on for a number of years, for about the first 1,500 years of the church. It kind of got worse and worse and worse. And then in 1517, something incredible happened. The Protestant Reformation happened. A guy named Martin Luther uh, was... Uh, he condemned the selling of indulgences and insisted that the Pope had no, no authority over purgatory. Um, and so he was excommunicated. And he nailed his 95 theses to the door of a church and, um, and really started a movement that, that put God's word back into people's hands. And that was an incredible thing, and that was a wonderful transformational moment. Um, we are a Protestant denomination, and it's because of what happened in the 1500s that we are where we are today. But just like everything else throughout the, the course of our history, what was intended in a good way kind of got recycled in a negative way. And even to this day, well, we have access to Scripture to the truth of God's word in the same way that in the past the church has used doctrine as a bat. Today, frankly, we use scripture as a bat sometimes to club somebody with it, right? Scripture is the truth of God's word. It's the foundation on which we stand. It's, it's the most important and significant guideline that tells us how to, how to live our lives and, and instructs us. But if we miss the love part of it, right? Truth without love is just a club. But the truth in love, that is what Christ intended for his church. So I, I'm a, big scripture guy. I love studying the word of God. I think it is like an incredible gift that God has given to us. It's my hope and my prayer that we as a church would be 
biblically sound, that we would know God's word, that we would study God's word, that it would be part of our life. But if it ends there, that's not enough. It's the truth in love. It's not a bat, it's not a club. Now, what happens is that bleeds into the rest of our lives, and, and we're here today. I mean, Scripture being used as a, as a club, can anybody think of a relevant situation today, right? I, I mean, we are in the midst of so many controversies, and we have been fighting so hard in so many ways to legislate morality. Now, I, before we like go too far down this road, I want to make uh, a, a very important distinction here. I think the work of lawmakers and the significance of the church's contribution to government is really important. Okay, I'm not trying to undermine that at all. I think specifically one of the one of the big topics right now is the issue of abortion. And that's not just a legislating morality issue, that's a human rights issue. And it's a big deal and we as a church need to stand firm on that truth that this is this is something that's really important. But the way that we approach it is also really important too. And if we come down uh, with with the idea that everybody who disagrees with the way that we feel is an idiot and they're stupid and they don't know anything, what are we ever going to accomplish? Right? Like we're here to move by the Spirit of God and to show His love to people. And if we can't communicate truth with love, then we're missing it. And there are other things that, that frankly, we spend way too much time worrying about. Like We have biblical beliefs as it relates um, to homosexuality, um, we believe that, that Scripture teaches that that's wrong, and we, we teach that plainly and clearly. But in the same way, should our, should our approach be, like, if we really want Christ to make a difference in our community and in our world, should our approach really be to make it illegal? Like, is that our goal? Is that our ultimate endpoint? No. We want the Holy Spirit to speak to somebody who's, who's in that situation, who's facing that temptation, who's facing that struggle, and to be able to say, I can change because God changed my heart. So as we're walking through this, we need to be sensitive. We need to be compassionate. And our first thought shouldn't be, how can we like, make our laws line up with our beliefs? But rather, how can we see the world have their hearts conform to God's heart? That's where I want to be. And if at the expense of losing people for the kingdom of God, we're able to legislate our beliefs. I think that's not worth it at all. 
Now, I believe that we as Christians have a responsibility to speak the truth, but we need to be very, very careful about the way that we do it. Are we doing it with compassion? Are we doing it with love? Are we walking through this process with graciousness and compassion and pointing people to the love of Christ in the process? I want to finish with just a few different verses that really kind of bring this home. John 13, 34 through 35 says, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples. By the way, you establish your laws in your government. Oh, no, sorry, read that wrong. Nah. If you love one another. Right? So it starts even, even more specifically, like not just loving the world, but the world looks at us as a church and, and we can't even get along. So it starts with us having the ability to show love to each other. Right? Galatians 5, 6, I read this last week. This is kind of, or two weeks ago. This is what we focused on. It says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If our faith doesn't come out as an expression of love, it doesn't matter. And then verse 14 in the same chapter says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Peter 1.22 Have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. You know, it's easy to be critical. As we look back in church history, we can see a lot of mistakes that were made. But frankly, there's a, there's a little bit of the temple model in each one of us, right? We all have things that mean something to us that were significant in our lives, and we need to be able to separate what is God and what is tradition and say we're going to take the spirit and leave the rest up in the air. Our consciences, our consciences have been shaped by this temple model in some ways. So are we going to continue to hold on to things that are going to hold us back from being the church that God has called us to be? Just, just to get a heart check, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you ever felt, do you ever wonder how close you can get to a particular sin without sinning? Have you ever thought that way before? Maybe you feel guiltier about missing church than you do about mistreating someone at work. Maybe um, when you fail morally, you're more concerned about what God is going to do to you than the harm of what you did to someone else because of that sin. Right? That right there illustrates perfectly how we let the temple model kind of creep back in. And anytime we place 
our works over his work, we're missing it. Jesus died for you. He died for your sin. His love for you is unconditional and it's freely given. The only right response is to take that love that he gave to you and to give it away freely to someone else. It's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's God's favor and God's love given to you. So that needs to inform your behavior. And if you focus on that, then your conscience can't be manipulated because God's love is perfect for you. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up as, as we wrap things up this morning. There's a, an old song that maybe some of you guys know. It says, uh, they will know we are Christians. What is it? By our love. That comes right out of that passage that I read from John 13. That I have loved you, and so you must love one another.